Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Is This Real Life? A Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives in the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. I hope you're having a good week. It's been a little crazy. It's been leap year, and there have been, you know, stories and lawsuits filed and announcements every single day this week. So we definitely get into it this episode. I'm so excited about you all hearing from my guest, Emerson Collins. He is fantastic and has lots of amazing opinions. And we tried to kind of go through the lawsuits one by one, but we didn't have time to talk about Potomac and Summer House. So I want to share a few thoughts about those episodes before we get into our chat. So let's start with Potomac. We're still in the Dominican Republic. It's fun to watch the ladies kiki and joke about sex. They always seem to have a good time doing that. Uh, but what really upset me was when Giselle was, you know, opening up and talking about Grace going to college in Florida and whether or not that was a, a safe place for a young black woman. That's something that they all should be able to relate to. But Wendy and Candace were so obnoxious during that meal. And while Giselle was speaking, they were kind of making these faces at each other. And then Wendy had, had the audacity to be like, well, I wouldn't send my kid somewhere unsafe, you know, as if your child who is going to be 18 years old doesn't have their own ability to make a decision to get funding to go to school and to make their own choice. I, that always frustrates me when parents of children over 18 is like, well, I didn't let them. Come on now. You know, I get if you're paying for college, you have some say in it. But don't you want to empower especially a young woman to be able to make her own choices? And then to say it to make it sound as if something bad is going to happen to Grace, I mean, that does nothing to alleviate Giselle's fears. It's it was a really nasty um, moment, and I really did not appreciate it. Ashley has hired a confidence coach to give her the confidence to divorce Michael Darby. <laughs> I mean. I kind of love this idea of a confidence coach. Don't we all need a confidence coach in some way, shape, or form for some aspect of our life? I could use a confidence coach. <laughs> I Good on Ashley. You know what? And people are criticizing her for not getting divorced, but it is what it is. And she can move in the time that it makes sense for her to move. And I don't know. Um then Mia opens up about Gordon. This woman talks out of both sides of her mouth and her ass all at the same time. It's like 
you know, at first he was like, you know, dropping $10,000 on her every night at the strip club and he had money. And then it's like, oh, he actually didn't have that much money. He was broke when I married him. And, you know, she said she had more cash from inheritance, which is something we never really heard about, and that maybe he didn't have, you know, liquid assets. Maybe all of his money was in property or in businesses or whatever, but I don't know, you know. (laughs) But she makes me laugh. I do appreciate Mia, and I am appreciating NECA. You know, I feel like NECA got off to a rough start because, She, I think, was, you know, treated a certain way by Wendy entering the group. And, you know, that was something that she wanted to fight back on and share her version of the story. But now we're watching her. She seems to get along with most of the women. I don't think she's done anything egregious. And so because of that, I think she deserves another season. I think one season's usually not enough to get someone's total personality. I mean, there are some exceptions, but I would like to see how she might do on another season. I know this week, Wendy went on, I can't remember what talk show, and Andy was there and Candace was there, and she made kind of a pitch to Andy that next season, could she take the women to Nigeria? And what I think is interesting is what if Wendy and NECA together led a trip to Nigeria. We need to stop this like Wendy and Candace being on their own thing. It's not working. And it's not working to have Giselle and Robin on their own either. We need to find a cast that can find ways to engage with each other. And Miami's a perfect example. Like, do some of them strongly have issues with each other? Yes. But there are these unlikely alliances. They can find areas of common ground. No one's digging their heels in like, I won't be around that person. It's it's quite refreshing. And I feel like it's what we need on Potomac. So if Wendy's going to stick around, would love to see a trip to Nigeria. But, you know, that's not her only thing. Like, it's also NECA's thing. So I don't know, maybe together. It's just an idea I had. And then Summer House. Okay, guys, I love West. I love him. I know everyone else has really enjoyed him as well, but my God, I have laughed out loud two episodes in a row now when he talks. You know, it was quite moving to hear Jesse Solomon's story about how he was a two-time cancer survivor, and that second time was was really, really rough. He went through chemo. And (laughs) after, you know, you think you can't laugh after hearing something like that. But West goes, wow, imagine if I went... (laughs) If I went second, like if this was Jesse's interesting fact about himself, and then I was like, oh, I went to all the states. <laughs> Just like, that's so true. Thank God he went first. He's so funny. I love that he makes Sierra laugh. I don't like how Sierra has discounted, you know, oh, yeah, I dated a funny guy. First of all, I don't think Austin is that funny. And second of all, like that's one characteristic. Look at all the characteristics that West has. I I feel like they actually could be really good together if she would give him a chance. She always seems to care about tall guys who are really good looking in her mind. And I don't know, maybe she needs a short king. That's what I think. It's the first time I've seen a lot of laughter out of Sierra. And I like what I see when she's around West. Um, I'm also glad to see Kyle and Amanda sit down and talk through their issues. You know, he wants to feel in sync with her. She wants better communication. It really shows that they've grown up a lot, you know, being able to sit down and have a conversation about their relationship. I do think something that I always witness is like couples need to learn how to argue. 
in a way that is constructive rather than harmful. And I just don't know if they've figured it out yet because when she gets irritated and annoyed, she's really mean to him, right? And I'm sure he says things that are really hurtful to her also, like insinuating that she's lazy just because she doesn't stay up until three in the morning writing emails. So they both need to kind of um, learn how to not have contempt for the other because that is the ultimate killer of relationships. And then we have to talk about Lindsay. Guys, Lindsay came in with such bad energy and a bad attitude. She's complaining about what room she got. West was being so kind. You know, I did notice that she's the one that makes all the decisions in the relationship with Carl. She decides what room they get. He's simply along for the ride asking, is this the room that we're having? She doesn't even consider his opinion on anything. And, you know, it it says a lot about the dynamic and maybe how that might not have been working for her or him if he doesn't want to be just a go-along-to-get-along guy. And, of course, she flips out when they are in the car. I guess they get in two separate cars, and she's, you know, very anxious about being around all the girls. Now, she doesn't really have Danielle on her side. Danielle's friends with the other women, and she's getting self-conscious, and she's been drinking, and she kind of shares this with Carl, and he kind of lets her know, you really, like, it's you know, ignore it. There's nothing to worry about. Like, it's all good. And she took it as him dismissing her feelings and being mean to her. But her version of reality, how she experiences the world, is one in which she is a perpetual victim. She's always done this. And, you know, so in her mind, he was being mean to her and she's a victim of his nastiness, right? And it reminded her of times that he was dismissive and unkind to her in the past when he was using drugs. And I do believe there is very real sort of like post-traumatic whatever stress around being around someone who kind of would flip a switch when they were using. But in this case, she was using, she was drinking. And when you're drinking, you're not thinking clearly. And the audacity of her to say that, you know, suggest that he was using drugs while she was actually the one that was inebriated is so foul and so nasty and so hurtful. As someone who says they're his biggest supporter in sobriety, this is not what a supporter of a person in sobriety looks like. And to call him Cocaine Carl, how easily that came out of her mouth, she must say this kind of shit to him all the time, is what I'm thinking. And she somehow thinks, because in her mind she's always the victim, that when viewers watch the show, they'll view it the same way she views it, the same way she experiences her reality. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. What was especially difficult was watching her the next morning. She was the one that was angry. She's the one that was raising her voice. And yet she's accusing Carl of every single thing she's doing. She's projecting. And when when he said, you know, I'm sorry that you felt hurt, she was so angry. She's like, you keep saying, I'm sorry that. I'm sorry that you felt this way. She wanted him to say, I'm sorry I hurt you. But he was not sorry of what he said. He was sorry that she took it the wrong way. And it's just, it was so frustrating to watch her. And 
you know, it was also very frustrating when the announcement happened of their split and to see fans' reactions and people going and writing nasty things on Carl's Instagram. And they're doing it now to Lindsay, and I think that's equally shitty. Like, you know, even if she, you know, made a mistake and said not nice things to Carl and treated him poorly, you don't need to come out and tell her that. It's not our job to do that, okay? And it just pissed me off that she went to the press and created this whole narrative and she tried to make it at BravoCon like he was going to be the next Sandoval. And he was visibly shaken at BravoCon. He was worried. He had not been doing well. I had a conversation with him. You know, he said it's been a really hard time, almost as hard, maybe harder than when his brother died because it was nonstop. It wasn't like he had time to grieve. It was, you know, story after story questioning him, questioning his decision-making, questioning his sobriety, questioning his family, questioning his sexuality. And that's nasty stuff, okay? And everyone got on board with her narrative. And, you know, sometimes it's just better to, like, sit back and watch and make a decision later. You don't need to react in the moment. And what I will say is that Carl did what Tom Sandoval was too chicken shit to do. He realized when the relationship was not working for him and he sat down and he had a difficult conversation with his partner that led to an ending of their engagement. That's all we wanted Tom Sandoval to do, to sit down and tell Ariana that it wasn't working for him, that he wasn't happy and that he wanted out before he decided to cheat, right? Once you're out, of a relationship, you can choose on whatever timeline you have to start dating someone else. But it's not okay to exit your relationship while you're still in it. You have to have a conversation. You owe your partner that, especially a partner of nine and a half years. And so what's frustrating is how quickly I think Bravo viewers wanted to cast Carl as some villain. I actually don't think either of them are villains. Like we don't need to do this whole Team Lindsay, Team Carl. It's just two people who were very close friends who took the next step in a relationship and it didn't work. And they both now realize that it was not the right decision to go you know, through and get married and are probably better off for it. But it was a very painful thing for both of them to go through. And I feel like we need to give them some grace and some space in how they dealt with it and processed it. And maybe a little bit less judgment. I don't know. I mean, I know we love to sit back and watch and judge, but maybe don't take action on your judgment. If you think Lindsay was really terrible, you don't need to tell her that. It's not, she doesn't need to know what you think of her. Because um, I really worry about the hate that she's going to get this season, um, the same way that I really worried about Carl and the hate that he was getting um, this fall when uh, the announcement came that he had ended the engagement and quote unquote blindsided her. You know, it goes back to Kelsey Ballerini. Were you blindsided or were you just blind? I think we all are going to come to a similar conclusion <laughs> watching season eight of Summer House. All right, guys, I am so excited for you guys to hear my conversation with Emerson. We had so much fun. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, go ahead, give it a five-star rating, leave a kind review. If you don't like something that was said on the podcast, you can reach out to me. You don't have to post a nasty review, although I know it makes people feel better. Um, you know, so you can reach out to me. I'm at Mandy Slutsker on Instagram and Twitter. Um, reach out to me on Instagram. I'm there more often. Um, but yeah, always do like hearing from you. And 
yeah, again, when you have something not nice to say, you don't need to share it. You really don't. (laughs) People just keep doing this. They'll like feel the need to comment on people's pages. Like if they don't like someone's outfit, you don't need to tell them, tell someone else. Do it on your own page, but don't go to their Instagram page and tell them something not nice. You know, even if it's, you know, even if they made a mistake, even if they suck in your mind, you know, I just think we can all just like tone down the reactions that we give. You know, you don't need to at someone when you're tweeting about them, you know, unless it's something positive because they hear so much negativity and I just cannot imagine what it must be like to act a fool on national TV and then have everyone, millions of people, thinking it's their job to teach you a lesson. Um, I think people can learn lessons other ways. Anyway, I'll take a quick break and then back with Emerson. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. I'm here today with someone very special whose introduction I don't think I will do justice for, but I'm going to try. So he is an actor, a producer, and a director for film and for theater. He has too many theater credits to name. You likely know him from the four seasons that he appeared on The People's Couch. Please welcome Emerson Collins. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it so much. (laughs) I am so excited. Uh, For those of you listening at home, yes, I I actually demanded that introduction. Um, Please (laughs) tell all the accolades. I have a list of awards that we're going to add at the end of the episode. Um, no, thank you. I'm so excited. It's uh, I love what you do. I love how you explore it. And I'm excited to jump into the nonsense that is like this like big Bravo moment that's happening. It's like everyone's suing Bravo. All the shows are thriving Bravo. Like there's just so much, so much, so forward in the culture, which is great for us super fans. It is. I am. So it's also, I think, going to be a lesson for a lot of us who aren't as familiar with the legal process, especially the civil process. I think yes. a lot more people like, well, you know, we watch CSI, we like understand, <laughs> you know, this is what like a federal investigator does. And yes, you know, but Mariska Hargitay <laughs> has walked us through like the special <laughs> victims processes. We understand those deeply. But these like civil ones that are a lot more like, frankly, boring in the detail process. Yeah. Uh, yeah, are unfamiliar. There, you know, and, and a lot of times it's like whoever has the money to pay their lawyers the longest is the one that wins yes. in the long run, right? Because if yeah. you don't have money to keep paying your lawyers, you'll probably settle. Like it yeah. just is meant to bleed you dry. It's a terrible thing. And I do believe people should have the opportunity to recourse if they've been wronged in you know, civil courts. But the way that these lawsuits are being used worry me a little bit um let's start with the leah mcsweeney (laughs) one because that's like the big bombshell so i haven't also is it no i'm kidding i'm kidding yes but also (laughs) is it (laughs) it's a bombshell in that what she is alleging now 
I believe, and maybe you know this better, she definitely filed a employment discrimination com- complaint in New York, and that uh-huh. got thrown out. So now right. she's su- suing Andy and Bravo, but not Shed Media, I don't think. I think it's just Bravo and NBC Universal. Yeah. The yeah, I didn't see the full like at a certain point when it gets into the production companies. I mean, at least she seems to be suing multiple organizations plus Andy. Yes. But it's starting to feel like we're getting into lawsuits on behalf of embarrassment. Ooh, yes. Like like that we're reaching for understandably, like complaints about like the environments that we work in. But in the cliff notes, I full disclosure, everyone, I'm not reading the full complaints. I'm like, can't get that deep in this. Um, but it feels a little bit like um, suing for lack of personal responsibility. You know, like someone else's bad behavior doesn't release your personal responsibility for the actions that you take. I sort of my would agree with you. I mean, so she says, and I didn't really understand her timeline of sobriety, but you know, she relapsed after nine years of sobriety when she was cast on Roni. And then I guess she spent 30 days being sober after that and had the intention of staying sober during her first season filming. But then she says that, and this is something that I really do believe production companies do, maybe not with Housewives, but certainly on like The Bachelor and Love is Blind and all that, where they create these like, sort of artificially close relationships to get people to divulge their secrets so they can use them, you know, in filming. And I just don't see that as much with the housewives because they are recurring characters uh, most of the time. It's not like, oh, this is just you're a one and done. And so a producer can manipulate you. You kind of get the hang of it after a while. And the producers do get close, you know? Yes. Well, like, certainly, like, that is the nature of reality TV producing, right? It is manipulative, both positive and negative. You, you've, we've seen shows where the manipulation is to get people to wonderful, lovely results, and then shows where the goal is to get people to behave badly. And I took some of the quotes that she said. Uh, <laughs> she said that they intentionally planned scenarios to exacerbate her disabilities. You know, now, as a, a, a sober person, as someone struggling with alcoholism, That certainly is a disability in her life. But also, this isn't a scenario where you signed up not knowing what something was. You know, she's not from a town of 500 people who, like, doesn't have the Internet. She's a professional who has been working in fashion business that is also related to entertainment business for a very long time. And yes, the goal of a TV show is to create environment for people to put on TV-worthy behavior, whatever direction that is, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is an element of this reality reckoning thing, right? If you don't like the concept of what, of what reality TV is, fair. But the idea that you're going to change the function of reality TV through a sing- single civil lawsuit is a little bit suspect. You know, it feels like reaching for a settlement. And yes, it does sound like they were probably disrespectful of her sobriety. That's terrible, they are also not your friend. You know, they're, they're, you, you are not with your close friends and sitting in a circle saying, hey, I am sober and can we not, you know, have drinking at this party or at this dinner because I'm newly sober. You are at work to do your job and that's your employer and your colleagues at work. And that's shitty, but I don't know that that's, that that's a, a, a grounds for a case. Totally. And 
I don't, I'm no legal expert and I'm no employment expert, but I do know at least at my organization, you have to disclose if you have a disability and require special accommodations. And then your employer is required to make those accommodations. And so, for example, if you have um, hearing loss or something, you know, things like that. But if she did not disclose, like formally, like I have this disability, then and ask for very specific accommodations such as time once a day to go to an AA meeting, like whatever that is. Right. Then I don't know if, if she's legally entitled to it. I, I mean, right. I, you have you, to say that you need it, and they, and have to be able to prove prove that they specifically denied like disability related requests. Exactly. If that's the guys under which we're going. Because then the rest of it, like once you get past that, is basically like Andy does coke with his friends and then he's nice <laughs> to his friends in the Bravo universe. Like that's sort of the, the the cliff notes of that. Yeah, which like the ones that he likes the most, a lot of them came out and were like, we've never done coke. Some of them are like, I've never <laughs> like Margaret Josephs is like, I've literally never gotten high and I've never gotten drunk ever in like my whole life. And You know, and so all these different people are coming forward. You can't have a lawsuit with just hearsay. So someone has to actually come through with evidence, not just of the cocaine, but of the preferred treatment. Like, how do you say that someone got the preferential treatment because they did cocaine with the boss? Yeah. And and that's, excuse me, the part that, that you have to demonstrate specifically and clearly and just to say that, like, a a boss has favorites among their employees is also not, like, like grounds, for, you know, other than, like, if you can demonstrate that you, that your work performance was, what's the word I'm looking for? It was, like, so denied. Denied, was, yeah. If you, yeah. You, you, like, were passed up for promotions, right. but which she wasn't. She was offered Ultimate Girls Trip, which mm-hmm. is... The ultimate thing that people want to be offered, I believe you get paid like quarter of a million dollars sometimes to film just for, a, yeah. you know, a week. That's a lot of money. And OK, this quote, I just can't get over. So this is something she says, producers never encouraged her to outright drink, but they engaged, quote unquote, in guerrilla type psychological warfare intended to pressure into a psychological break and cause a relapse. Right. And like, what I loved about it's funny. I've been a Leah stand the entire time. Even oh, that like season when everyone, even when everyone turned on her, I was like, look, she is young and interesting and like combative and fun and like this group of people that we know. Like I enjoyed her influence the entire time. Like even when everybody was like, oh my gosh, uh, I was like, you know, I mean that season that went awry. But I was like, she's interesting challenge the women that we know everything they are going to do before they do it so like i've always been and i think she's incredibly intelligent and talented and so there's an element of like i believe that is true on both sides right yes the producers do things they say things hoping that it will cause you to like go and perform in the in the show but also you're still a grown adult with the ability to go nope i'm not going to do that and while i understand that there's pressure related to like well if i don't perform for my job then my job is in danger but when you're not doing an employment opportunity that's nine to five with definitive metrics to meet and, you know, standards for an employee review, it's a little bit harder to say, like, my job is in danger uh, related to not doing what I've been pushed. Like, guerrilla tactics, 
Like you are not someone that can be that easily manipulated. Certainly, you know, they're trying to manipulate you. Like, oh, you know, well, I don't know, just relax, right? It's fine. But unless somebody was like, you know, no matter what, who cares? You're not an alcoholic. You can just have a drink or two. That would be horrifyingly actionable, probably, right? Yeah. But anything else is like, they're saying, go be fun. But let's go back to her first season that she was on, because she did not identify as an alcoholic at all. She said, I chose to be sober for nine years, and now Mm -hmm. I'm going to choose to drink again. And the whole season, her family was saying, we don't think this is a good idea. She was in a fight with her mom about it, you know, and, and she's the entire time saying that she can handle it, she can handle it. So why are we to think that behind closed doors, she told production a different story? Right. Well, and also at what point? Because there was a lot of her early stuff was like, I can do this. I'm fine. And no judgment or commentary on anybody's sober journey. You get to live that life, how you choose what works for you, how you and your doctors do or don't deal with it as a disease or a, you know, how how it is lives in your life. But that's certainly how she presented herself to all of us at the time, whether that was like convincing herself while she told it to us, you know, that's harder to tell. And it's not Bravo or the production company's job to keep her sober. That's her responsibility. Like, you know, thinking of Carl from Summer House, I'm sure he was using during filming. If he was in active addiction, that's, you know, common. So, yeah, maybe while he was filming, he went in the bathroom, he snorted some drugs, drinking too much. You know, it's not their job to babysit. And when he did say, wow, I've got a problem. I'm going to try and get help and get sober. Then everyone was on board. His castmates, his, you know, the production company, Bravo. You know, when when people go on, watch what happens live and it's a Wednesday and it's Shotsky night, they make sure to ask, like, do you want water in this? Do you not even want to have the action of doing it? You know, Kyle Richards didn't even want the action of taking a shot of water. And so she had Nikki right. Hilton do it. Yep. You know, so there are accommodations consistently being made. So it's hard for her to say. Now, I'm wondering, is Shed Media the one with the most problems? Because they're the ones that I think produced Ultimate Girls Trip that's getting canceled, the one that was filmed in Morocco. And they're the ones with Roni. So it seems like maybe they may have some problems. Right. It's also... I feel like part of it's our evolution of reality TV and the stars taking power because like in the wider argument, they're not wrong. It's that like, this is an unhealthy thing in general, right? Like the most grounded, centered, stable people still have a difficult time holding their center in the heightened world that is shooting a reality TV show. But in response to the lawsuit, part of what Leah posted on her Instagram is like a lovely idea, but like not real. She said, Reality TV, she wanted reality TV to realign with its true purpose, to authentically depict the complexities of life while offering genuine support to those who share their stories. That is a lovely goal for a certain kind of reality TV. That is not actually the goal of reality television. That is not the ethos of reality television producers, why we make television. A lot of it is like, let's get somebody ridiculous, turn on a camera and see what happens. Like, it is not a high-minded thing. What she describes is great aspirational for certain people, but you can't sue reality TV into being uh, more philanthropic or, you know, more more according to your personal moral system of what you think it should be. 
Yeah, I for me, just personally, I have uh-huh. a lot more empathy for people who are in toxic workplaces who don't have a lot, lot of other options. For example, right. someone who works in an Amazon storage <laughs> facility and they have to work crazy hours and they're not even allowed to go to the bathroom, you know, that kind of stuff. If they can't get another job, if this is like, you know, an entry level or, um, you know, minimum wage job, then that's a lot more, I'm like, it's very important for you to have safe workplace conditions and be treated yes. like a human being. Yeah. However, there are other types of professions in which you know what is expected of you and that it is beyond what a normal quote unquote job is like. And I can speak from experience, not me, but like everyone around me, political campaigns. You decide to work for a political campaign and you are signing up to work like 20 hour days to develop heart conditions as a result of lack of sleep, of extremely poor nutrition. You know, it's you get berated by your boss. People scream at each other. It's so like it's such a toxic environment to work for a campaign, all right? And and but you know going in, right? Yeah. And if you don't, yeah. you learn really quickly. And with reality TV, you know going in and you have other options. And so yeah. she could have decided, you know what? I know this is an amazing opportunity, but where I'm at in my sobriety right now, I don't think this is the right fit for me. You know, let's discuss maybe a couple years down the road and maybe that opportunity is still available or maybe it's not. But she has other sources of income. She's not working in an Amazon warehouse. Yes. Well, it's like not too long ago, Stassi did an interview about the Valley and how she like said no to being in the sizzle. And they were like, why not? And she was like, I don't want to do what's required of me to go do that. You know, I've got a life and a kid and like, I don't want to go pretend and like end up having to fight with people because that's what we do on the like. She just said, that that's not for me. Like we, you can walk away from this and this money and this exposure. And for me, it's not even that they're wrong, right? Some of this discussing the toxicity of how reality television is made. The like how the, there, I think there's some actually decent conversations to have about mental health aftercare. I do yes. think no matter how experienced you are, um, and it relates to the, the next lawsuit, obviously we're going to get to. The how how stable you are as a person, how grounded and centered you are, the feeling that the entire world or the entire social media world is coming for you is not a thing anyone's life experience can prepare them for, like mentally, spiritually, psychologically. It it just isn't. And and for those of us that have never had it happen, we also can't relate to that because it's easy to be like, whatever, just put your phone down. But it isn't that simple when like everywhere you have we're having a, you know, reasonable discussion on the subject and someone else is in someone's dms writing kill yourself kill yourself kill yourself you know so i do think the like how you support the talent that you know you are editing into a certain story for a particular season actually is a decent conversation to have to be prepared to like theoretically sort of support that person that you know is not just what you are about to depict them as that's i don't think that's a bad conversation I think that's a very important conversation. Actually, I think that's the conversation that they need to be having. How do we support yes. talent, especially yeah. with all this social media nonsense? I mean, we saw on um, the Real Housewives of um, Salt Lake City how damaged they were by this one troll account. Like, yeah. I believe it. I believe they are scarred. <laughs> Wait, can I do an, I'm going to do a random tangent because you said that. Yeah, here at our house, 
Blake and I have decided that now on any show, on any reunion, on any episode, when someone says, well, I got a DM, it's for Monica. <laughs> like, anytime there's an anonymous DM or a text or whatever, I read somewhere, I heard somewhere, we're just like Monica. So like Monica's over in Potomac sending like things that like, like we've just made Monica. She is. Oh my God. That's so every funny. Social media tip anywhere to anyone. And it's made watching other shows absolutely hilarious. Like, it's a Miami reunion. They pull out a book and they're like, well, I got to I was like, oh, Monica was in Miami. (laughs) (laughs) Or before that, before it was Monica, it was like Mia's social media manager. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And then whoever that was that did the social stuff for Rena, who was like, wait, or the guy who came out and tried to claim that he was doing all this stuff. And then he was like, just kidding. I wasn't. He was the first Monica before Monica because he wrote himself into the story. And then... He was like, I'm bored and busy, and it was me. I'm right here. But yeah, so we've made all DMs on all shows from Monica. Just And it's made it great. Try it at home. That is so funny. Okay, let's get into Sorry. the next lawsuit, yes. which is Rachel is suing Tom and uh, Ariana for revenge like we're just flipping, flipping, flipping through, through all the lawsuits. I literally have like three listed. And that may, I not, I mean, that may not encompass all of them. I may have missed something. I mean, I don't have time to go through all this literally, like, legal paperwork. I, and I'm a like, I'm a like definitely Bravo watcher and I'm like an off, an off network skimmer. You know, like I don't get, mm. a, I don't get all the details of every story every day. Cause like I have actual things I have to do that. So I like trust other people to like bullet point it together. But like right now I'm like, everyone's a legal scholar. I'm like, Lord, <laughs> as a gay man with a drawer full of underwear, I haven't seen this many briefs in a long time. <laughs> What a line. What a line. I mean, the thing I don't think people understand and that I am trying to understand because everyone's like, oh, revenge porn. What's the legal implication for that? Is it an illegal act in California? I don't think in terms of legality, it matters because this isn't a criminal lawsuit. This isn't a criminal case. This is a a civil case. And so you don't need to prove that. You just, Rachel's saying like she wants to be compensated for her damages and- She's got Bethany's lawyers, and they're just going to, you know, keep going until Tom and Ariana are bled dry of their bank accounts, which may or may not be overdrawn. (laughs) Yeah. Well, also, because, like, I do feel like there was a little bit of his, like, I had to go on tour because I was broke. You know, the the Pump Rules cast, I think sometimes people aren't as aware that, like, across the Bravo universe, not everybody's in the same pay scale ranges. Like, it's not all, like, none of them are sitting on such big piles and i think we can see that in the like they are both still in this house because this was a big sink of a lot of income for them into the like future right yeah they need the money i did make a note that i feel like of all the one thing i i wish was provided to these people but like maybe not for reality tv just in general is learning how to manage finances because yes. they're coming into money very quickly. I mean, I I hope that most like NFL stars, NBA stars are also given support. People blow through that money and it seems like Sheena in particular, like whatever's coming in is going back out. And ch- for her to say that during the pandemic she needed 
money from Tom Sandoval. She He lent her some money because she was in such a rough place. If you make $35,000 an episode and there are that many episodes, like you should have a savings account. You should have investments. You should not have every single member of your family on payroll. You know, like you need to be diversifying your income. You need to like, but not everyone knows this, right? And so that makes me kind of sad if people are the first in their family to like come into this kind of money. You just need to be a lot smarter about what you're spending and spend a lot less than even others around you are. And they're yes. just not doing that. It drives me nuts. Well, and it's like, I know it's like the, what you want to say is that they do need sort of a reality star 101 class. <laughs> right. It's like a little bit of discussion of how to deal with social media, a little bit of discussion of like why you probably should get a business manager if you're making more than 100 grand a year that you like don't know what to do with the money for and like how to like best plan for taxes and all of those things that those of us that have been like pretty poor at some point had to learn to like budget. I think if you went from basically a paycheck to paycheck life to a ton of money, you haven't switched from the the paycheck to paycheck mindset of like, well, I spend it and then I don't spend until I get another check that that is not learned across the the universe as well as as it should be. I mean, even me, when my income goes up, I end up I'm like, well, now I can afford to get my nails done every three weeks. Okay, now, you know, I can't even imagine with the amount they have coming in. Oh, same. I'm like, I, I continue to make life choices that mean I don't make a ton of money because I want to produce like theater and film and television, whatever. Um, and this past year, I paid my quarterly taxes in the quarter for my first time in my adult life. And it was like such a thrilling achievement because like all of my work is 1099, you know. So I was like, That's I'm going to pay it as I go. And it was like a huge achievement. <laughs> That's amazing. It's that taxes are really tough if you have multiple streams of income. Uh, If you're just a salaried employee like me, it's pretty easy, right? Oh, you should see me like deep in the turbo tax, like going, yes, okay, sure. Um, Yes. Anyway, (laughs) sorry, I have dragged us so far afield. So Rachel is suing Tom and Ariana. And for for me, we have to discuss it as two separate things, right? Like the, the Ariana and the Tom of it like are separate, even though she's doing them together. Because now, for those of you listening at home, you can't see, but I'm wearing my Ariana Maddox in Chicago t-shirt that I bought the opening night of Ariana Maddox in Chicago in New York, because I definitely went. Wait, tell us how that was. (laughs) Exquisite. Okay, so shortest version, I was going to New York to produce an off-Broadway play um, at the Soho Playhouse. And these these two brilliant actors in this play called Wounded by Jigs Burgess, Craig Taggart and Shaw Jones, and we got our dates. And I was supposed to fly home on the 29th of January. And I was like, wait, that sounds familiar. And I checked. And sure enough, that was her Monday opening night. And then my friend Jackie Cox was opening in a one uh, one person show as well. And I was like, well, I'll stay to that. And sure did buy myself a third row ticket to see Ariana <gasps> go into Chicago. My friend Max Von Essen is playing Billy Flynn. And so I was like, maybe I can like be in the world of it all. It was glorious. It was like Bravo Con Broadway. Because like, first of all, like everybody from the like New York Bravo universe that like reports, it plays, enjoys like the world that is Bravo was in the room. The number of people I saw that I'm like, oh, I recognize you from Instagram or from your podcast or from your thing. Um, so the atmosphere in the theater was so joyful. And what I will say I was proud of like the Bravo fan base because when she made her first entrance, like big uproarious response, right? 
But that audience did that for every performer all night long. Like there was no like inappropriate cat calls, like screaming in random scenes. And like that joy like was given to every performer on the stage. And I sort of felt, felt proud of us that it wasn't like, we're just here to see this one thing. It's like, we're all having a show and the performers seem to be having a great time with it as well. Oh, I love that. Oh, the and, uh, like talking to them afterwards, because I stayed and stayed in the theater and got to say hi to her afterwards. When I did Rent Live on Fox. Yes. A couple of years ago, she was one of the first people like in the broadcast to post about me on her story. So Aww. she's always been very lovely, like friendly acquaintance to me. Um, And so I was like, I can't even imagine because she had rehearsed during the day and then they did one put in rehearsal with the whole cast Monday afternoon and did the show that night. And it is so much choreography and she hit every beat of that dancing. The acting was delightful and like her own spin on it. I was beyond impressed with the achievement of doing the whole thing and like selling the character. And you can tell where she really enjoyed acting like the Roxy's big monologue that was specific to her and her humor um and at the end of the night you could tell she was like relieved yay i got through it but it was definitely far better than that and i have to assume it only like grew and got even more comfortable as she's gone through the run that's what people are saying i have some friends in common with her and they said that she's just getting like better and better and better which is hard to imagine because she is so talented i mean she's been preparing her whole life for this and i'm so glad i i hope she has a future in New York, in musical theater, because I think that's where she belongs. Also, her team was was ready for this moment in her life, right? Because, like, to get to the Dancing with the Stars, and then definitely it was the Dancing with the Stars, how well she was doing, let them start this conversation with Chicago, and that she made it to the finale, I'm sure, is, like, how they were able to lock this booking. There was that movie, like, they are working this moment to set up the, like, you know, when it when it inevitably calms down a little bit, right? That she's established in enough places to be able to continue to work in the world she actually wants to be in. Like, yeah. bravo, literally, like in the applause way, not the network. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but coming all the way back. So, and I think I understand Rachel's pain, like legitimately, and the need to like claw back and claim some space. Um, for the size of the universal cultural reaction to this one incident in her life, so to speak. Um, But targeting Ariana feels like misplaced anger and frustration because Ariana stated very clearly at least one place that like she saw a few seconds of a video, did not describe what was in it, never had a copy of it, never sent it to anyone in any way, never had her own copy of it either, separate from like what she saw on the phone. And she responded that way in detail when Rachel sent the cease and desist originally to the full cast. So targeting her feels like a either a headline grab or a money grab that feels like it's as much from Bethany's attorneys as it is That's from like Rachel's is. personal desire to like get money from Ariana for what happened. 100%. I don't even think... It was Rachel's decision. I mean, ultimately it is, but I'm sure she's basically listening to these lawyers are like, here's what we could do. Here's our strategy. This is what we recommend. And if she's like, well, I don't know about Ariana, you know, they'll probably be like, no, we have to include her. You know, I just don't think she's in control, which makes me feel really sad because I think her whole goal is to take control from a situation that just quickly 
was so out of her control, was out of everyone's control, and she's like trying to reestablish it. And yes. I just think this is the wrong way, particularly with Ariana. Well, and it's notable that they didn't target the network, the production company, anybody, because if anything, there's an element of like, would did, you will lose with them. And this feels like we can chase a settlement from both of these parties, like you mentioned earlier, um, out of a like, we don't want to run down our bank accounts fighting like the Goliath attorneys who can just bill ours, you know, to kingdom come that. Um, but I think it's a bad a bad step just for her, the Ariana part of it. Because, Tom, there's at least an argument for, one, you did not have her permission to create this recording. California is a two-party consent state, but this isn't a criminal anyway. But at least the the optics of the blame for it being possible to be viewed are his responsibility. Um, but in the language of that lawsuit, like they're basically suing for the fact that she was made into a cultural laughingstock. And like I don't know that you get monetary damages for being nationally embarrassed. Especially you know, he, if you didn't have like a reputation to begin with that was damaged. Like it's and, not like she had an established reputation in general. Right. Well, and also I'm all for like control of our images, control of our bodies. But I think they lo- where they lose in the argument is I did not personally see anywhere people shaming that they made a sexually explicit video together right. in their personal thing. Like, at no point, we're because, like, our generation, like, from us and down, that is a very common behavior in dating, yeah. in relationships, in long distance, that, like, I never even thought of that as a shameful thing, literally, until this lawsuit. You know, it's like, it's not that you all were being sexy on FaceTime. It's it's why and with who. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not the video that's the problem. It's the it's the behavior of the of you, <laughs> the two of you as people against this other person. So I think you sort of lose the argument there that this that the specifically the video impacted your reputation in any quantifiably negative way. Wild. And then we'll just touch briefly on the Brandy Glanville lawsuit where she claimed Andy sexually harassed her. Was that a lawsuit or was that just like a claim? I feel it's somewhere somewhere in there. And what's annoying <laughs> on that remember. one, right? Because like <laughs> Full disclosure, I'm a Brandy Glanville stan. Like, I mean, I don't stan anybody, not really. But like, I've always loved Brandy. There's something that speaks to my heart about this unfiltered id who is on television. Like, if you come at me at a two, I'm coming back at you at a 47. And you know that. So don't come, you know, if you come. But that one feels like a slapback lawsuit attempting to manipulate, like, release the footage. You know, it feels like a fine. If we're going to say that my behavior is being interpreted this way in a way that I can't defend because you won't show people what I think happened, then I'm going to say the same thing about behavior that I have evidence Mm -hmm. for, that if you interpret it literally on the facts only, you know, someone in a power authority figure above me behaved in this way, and I responded because I didn't want to lose. Like, it's technically correct, right? But I think they're using it as a, like, a poking at the, like, girls trip caroline brandy's inability to de- defend how she sees her behavior because like the evidence won't be put forth publicly yeah and i believe she actually misrepresented the video that she was talking about to begin with because it sounds like now people are discussing the contents of the video both andy and kate chastain were fully closed they were drinking they were joking she was in on it she had text messages back and forth that were like laughing and so it's clearly that she didn't take it this way and that she was right. trying to like retroactively 
claim sexual harassment, which is really sad because it's important to, you know, well, that is the one thing in all of these conversations, right? That like, we be careful that we're not crying wolf to either get money or to get, you know, opportunity or whatever, so that when these things really happen, because they do, and they're so common and, um, whether it's harassment or like being punished in the workplace for not participating in like group activity, you know, there's so many real versions of all of these stories. Like you said before, in workplaces where people don't have other options, they don't have other career choices, you know, they depend on this paycheck every week and they don't have a national platform to speak out when they are treated incorrectly, that we want to ensure that these words always mean what they're legally supposed to. And in order to defend people who really experience them in situations they cannot escape from. Amen. <laughs> okay, before we get into Vanderpump Rules, I just need to ask, yes. are you going to be yes. watching The Valley? I am struggle. I am struggle. <laughs> I am struggle. Yes. Uh, I could uh, like, say that about so many things this week. <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny because like, you know, I have like Isla Bravo and love like I'm a house. I'm a housewives completionist for sure. Yes. Same. I'm pretty much a completionist in the below deck world. I have summer house and winter house. I don't do the million dollar listings. I never did. I don't do married to medicine, even though I know they're amazing. I just like don't have like I don't have enough hours. And this like Valley, there's nothing like that excites me yet. I will watch the pilot so I can talk about it, of course. But it's going to have to really convince me. Also, since I live here and like I'm of the age where like my friends are just now getting ready to have babies in the Valley. I'm like, I know what that life is. And Jackson and Brittany coming out yesterday that they're separated before the show's even starting. Like, what's the appeal of watching a full, like, season of you? Like, I don't know. Like, I, it's hard to be excited about it currently. I wish that this came. I know they wanted to, like, make it so it connected with the current season of Vanderpump Rules. But they must yeah. have filmed a pickup scene because this show was filmed long before Vanderpump Rules was filmed last summer. I believe it was last spring. And so I'm very confused. Maybe they just um, made filming go on longer than just the spring to make right. it line up. But we'll see. I'm kind of interested because some of these are people that I like know of, you know. Right. And but I don't know if I want to watch their lives. Also, some of it may make me sad. It's like, okay, you should be more content in your marriage and more like strong in it than if you decided to bring a child into this world and actually it you know you're just putting off facade and you're not really happy or that they're going out and partying like when Stassi was asked on Jeff Lewis why she turned this down one of the things she said is like these aren't the people I normally hang out with and like I you know stay home I don't do and then she switched what she was saying. And I think she was going to say, like, she doesn't do drugs. And she's someone who right. openly used to, right? She had an Adderall problem. And so I think she's trying to stay away from that kind of stuff. And she's implying that this group of people allegedly continues to party a lot. And that's just, I don't know if I want to watch parents of very young children behaving irresponsibly with, like, drugs and alcohol. I just think that's kind of icky. Well, it's funny because now you're like, I'm a terrible person because now you're like selling me on it because I'm like, actually, there's something interesting. What happens when the party <laughs> people like have babies and they're like, wait, but I still want to party sometimes. So like the nanny's at home so you can go to like a rave till 3 a.m., you know, or whatever. I think that it's weirdly the Jackson Brittany of it all that you were in Florida and you moved back and we know you moved back specifically to do this. I might even be more excited if it was just like a totally fresh group of people 
providing a different Los Angeles experience about like adulting with babies in the Valley in LA. Or if it had been what they, the rumored original, like spinning off more of the Pump Rules cast when they all moved to the Valley. Like if this had been the Tom, Ariana, Jax, Brittany, Tom, Katie, you know, here we are in a new phase of life and a new show. Yeah, I don't know. So, okay, yes, I'm tuning in. Fine, you convinced me. And just so listeners are aware, I am not judging people for what you choose to do in your free time away from your children. It's just... Um, I mean, I am sometimes a little bit. It's just like a little bit, like, sad that people seem to be wanting to cling to their life at 23, at 43. Like, it's okay for your life to evolve. It's like watching Shep on Southern Charm is depressing. It's not interesting. It's depressing. And so... You know, I don't really want to be depressed. I kind of want to be, <laughs> which is why I like yeah. housewives, because at least they have these extravagant lifestyles, even if they're right. sad, I can yeah. enjoy the lifestyle. Yeah, I love that. Like, this is where you're a better person than me, because I'm like, oh, you're like, oh, this makes me sad. And I'm like, oh, my God, this makes me feel good about where I am. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, I'm just like, I think a lot of people have difficulty. It's probably also a California thing, like with aging and with what you want to do at what ages. And I'm just very comfortable of where I'm at and what I find fun and what I find not fun. Like my friends and I were talking, like, we don't stand in lines anymore unless it's to enter a concert or a theater, like something that we have tickets for. But I'm not going to enter a line to go to a bar. I'm not going to go to like a music festival that I have to stand for nine hours straight. You know, like, (laughs) like, it's just my comfort. Things that I did at 23, you know, like standing outside in the freezing cold to watch Barack Obama get inaugurated is something I wouldn't do at my age anymore. Right. You know, it was the most physically uncomfortable I had been in like decades. (laughs) Yes. Well, it's like the people in diapers in Times Square at New Year's yes. Eve. Like one time in your life, if you go with God, um, I'm not pissing myself for any amount of like <laughs> group community action. Um, I know. But yes, it's also do your do your definitions of what is value in yourself, in your culture, in opportunity. Like if it doesn't evolve or develop, it becomes sad regardless. Because you should want different things at different phases of your life. Like that's part of growing and changing. whatever it is if you're still a a 1am at a festival person but also you should have a job and you should consider that like the baby is at home and the nanny wants to go home and pay them you know yeah like that kind of stuff and not to say i'm (laughs) above diapers you know everyone who listens to this podcast knows that in 2009 i had a bad case of cholera when i lived in bangladesh (laughs) well and certainly i'm not making a judgment against anyone with continence issues (laughs) Like, I will happily wear the Lisa Rinna Depends when the time comes. Like, Same. No, and I, I have will, no problem. I will, I will do the commercials. Like, look, my, yes, I'm, I'm not judging anybody's health things. But that's different than being like, you know what sounds fun? Times Square, it's 20 degrees outside and somebody next to me probably shit themselves. Okay. In this Happy vein, New Year. I have a question. Who do you think shat on the something about her patio? <laughs> <laughs> I want to make it like really fun and be like Sandoval and Billy were running around town irritated and like <laughs> fuck them. But sadly, living in West Hollywood where we've had a significant uptick in like the unhoused population since the pop- pandemic. Yeah. Where it is because it's also right down the road from the Golden Globes headquarters. Like the Hollywood Foreign Press office is like three doors down. Oh, wow. And it's between Sir and the Abbey. 
for those yes. of you like don't know LA geography really well. So it's a very like big stretch. I mean, we've walked past it a thousand times as they were doing the like patio work and changing the awning. Cause I'm like, I want to go get my sandwich. But um, so as much as it would be fun to pretend that it was like somebody being dramatic. We, I mean, we have issues with this in DC as well, but most of the time people tend to use the bathroom like in alleys and kind mm-hmm. of like behind things. And that yeah. would be a lot less oh. weird to me than like choosing an open space on a patio. Like it felt like they were trying to send oh. a message. This was definitely like an angry public poo. Like for better <laughs> or for worse. Somebody was like, you know, it's like when you pass a dog pooping and it stares at you. This was definitely like the people version of that. Somebody like <laughs> popped a squat and was like, you look, you watch something about her, something about this shit. That's what's happening. <laughs> oh my gosh squad. you're welcome i'm well, classic speaking of dogs how do you feel about james being reunited with graham slash hippie oh my gosh like what a crazy reveal like from no i mean it's also sidebar interesting that because we no longer have the pump location we're shooting a lot more at vanderpump dogs so we're like finding reason to bring a different property into the storyline <laughs> of um, course But, you know, for all of James's challenges, those are the moments I always see the, like, hurt little boy whose life experience was really hard and his relationships and parent, you know, all of that. And those moments where how emotionally he clings to the thing that gives him unconditional love, you know, um, it was like that reunion was really beautiful to see and, like, really touching, like, how important this was. And going back to like how we sometimes judge parents of young children for how they behave, um, I the entire time, even before Scandaval came out, I was like, what is wrong with Rachel? She has a dog. She's a single dog owner. And she's staying out to like four or five in the morning. That means that dog is at home alone at night. And I could never do that to my dog. I it, they're not meant to be alone. They you can't. They're not like a cat that you can just like right. leave for a little bit. And so it's very irresponsible to like routinely be out that late. Like how when was the last time they went to the bathroom? Like come on, you know. A lot of times, if I'm going to be out super late and it's like a friend's house, like I'll bring my dog. You know. Yeah. I just think it's. Um, yeah, I didn't trust that she was a responsible dog owner just based on her like how often she was gone. Yeah. So the, yes. my judgment. And, and unless you have somebody, you know, checking and taking care of um, on the thing. Did you, this is all alleged because I may have made this up, but I feel like I saw somewhere that she discussed that they tried to use this like with the dog to get her to come back to shoot a scene, you know, that and and her fear was what they were going, what else they were going to do with it or how they were going to paint her in it that this was like one of the multiple tactics that they used to try to get her into a scene this season was like, we have the dog we're giving to James. Do you want to come be here? And she was like, no, I don't. Did I, did I, I write no. something you said? I believe she said that, that like, and I also believe that Lisa Vanderpump exaggerated the harm that Graham, hmm. like, I don't know that he was actually at a kill shelter. I think he was at, like a foster and it wasn't working out very well, but maybe he could have ended up at a kill shelter, but like that didn't actually happen. I think she exaggerated the, the harm that, that was, you know, in his yes. way, but yeah, I think they utilized this and I think they utilized um, Lala calling her in the first episode 
of the season. I think they were trying to lure her to film and she hadn't given a solid no at that point. Yeah. So, or even if she does, if you're producing the show, your job is to do everything you can through the entire shoot, right. To get the scene that you want for the television. Um, And I have to say it is where I applaud her a little bit. Same. For being like, no, like, if I didn't learn anything else, I learned that I cannot control what you will do with my image and the words that I say. And no, I like, it feels like part of the healthy part. It's why the lawsuit makes me sad because it feels, it felt like she was really on a path to going, I can't control how the world responded to me, but I can control how I feel and the world that I build around me now. And this lawsuit feels like reaching back backwards into it, like keeping it central in your life, which I hate that for her because like she is still just a woman who made a terrible decision with, a you know, to, to screw over a friend and make really bad choices, but it's not like the worst person in the history of even that show or, <laughs> you know, reality television. Like, yeah. So totally. I was excited. I was hopeful for her that she like be able to heal beyond like the, the ridicule and the judgment. And this lawsuit feels like, three steps backwards. I also feel like this got like Bethany's hands all over it. Like, you know, waiting yeah. 365 days to file. So like it yeah. was on leap year, but it would have been March 1st if it wasn't leap right. year. You know, all of that just to get people talking. Ugh. Okay. And I like that's it's so hard for me because do you have your person in the reality world you identify with? I Like I've said since the beginning, like since the earliest season before the skinny girl thing, I would probably come off in reality TV closest to bethany frankel on like that's <laughs> probably closest to like my truth right oh. i'm a like i'm a little bit of a like i'll say the thing and i'll poke at you a little bit and i'm a little bit patronizing and a little bit you know think i'm a little bit smarter than you and then i'll say like quippy things in an interview so like i've always identified like as a bethany first for good and bad like you know um but this like recent era since the like oh, Roni is no longer a backup plan for you that felt like why we turned to this corner into like, I'm going to single-handedly reinvent reality television, but also not really, but also for attention, but also not re- like, yeah, I don't, it's hard. It's hard for me to watch. That's interesting. I'm trying to think of who, I've always said that I feel some sort of like kinship with Dr. Jackie. Oh, 100%. Yes. <laughs> I fully agree. That, yes. Like, I can't imagine myself raising my voice. I kind no, of... That's, like... <laughs> that's so real. That's like, not to like, not like I'm deep diving into who you are as a person, but like, that just gets in. Yes. That like, I'm still here somehow. And I, for the most part, not lost my own like center and thing. And yet I keep showing up with these bonkers people, some of whom I love, and I'm just still in it. <laughs> And I want everyone to do a little bit better. And like once in a while, I've had my And I'll mess loop. up. Like I'll totally, yeah, she's messed yeah, up, I mean. right? Yes. But. Um, oh my God, that's such a truth. Please own that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind <laughs> of that one. person. Because I love yes. watching her be even keeled. Because yes. I'm like, that's probably how I would be. I don't know that yes. I could get as riled. I don't know that that's in me. Maybe it yeah. is. Maybe someone just has to piss me off enough. No, but that's so that's such a good and at our house, like the good years of their friendship, Blake is such a Carol. So like the years oh. of Carol and Bethany were so hilariously us. And the Carol that's like, I've been related to like Prince and like I'm from literally American royalty. I'm just having fun doing this little skit with you all. And so like I'm here or there. I have these accomplishments. I don't really care, but it's amusing. Like we are Bethany and Carol because I'm like 
totally, totally whatever. And then I will have my like, you've you've pushed me over with like refusing to see the truth of something long enough that I'm suddenly at like mention it all with my like legs spread. Like, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I used to say if I did like Big Brother, you wouldn't see me for like seven episodes because I would just be like getting to know people and hanging out and like talking and I like wouldn't be in the story. And then I would have one night where someone pushed something too far, probably with someone else. And I would deliver the Dixie Carter designing women kind of monologue where you would be able to paint me as villain of the season if you didn't show like what led up to it. Like, I know that that's yeah. my truth. Like, I'd lose it the one time. And if you wanted to, you could eliminate everything that caused it and just be like, he's a crazy person. I know they they don't always show what like leads up to some of these arguments. And then a lot of the arguments and Brian Moylan always said this, like when he published his book is like the fights are about the show and that it's always hard to figure out exactly what fight about the show that they're having. Um, So I'm always trying to like be a detective and figure it out, you know? Yes. Yes. And we see that a lot on Beverly Hills. So maybe it's They're the worst to... offenders. They're the worst offenders. It seems I as mean, though this... Kyle, this whole Kyle and Dorit thing, like when it's as if Kyle is saying to the world, I was just friends with Dorit for the show. And I didn't want her to make it seem like we were actual friends. And then when Dorit tried to dispute that narrative, she's like, well, how often did we have lunch other than being on camera? And that was so harsh. Yeah. It was so they're harsh. The, they're the worst offenders about everything being about public perception and image and producing themselves because that was such a fascinating insight, right? Because the text itself is is fascinating. It's obviously extremely manipulative. But also, she, I can understand in it, she's trying to say, I know we have a thing Go right now between us, but you are my closest actual friend of the co-workers. And I'm sorry, I've been MIA. There's a lot going on. Can we please not add this to the already long list of things we know we're going to do tomorrow? And can we deal with it with us later? Now, you can say that's absolutely unfair to ask, because certainly it is. But then when she shares it with Erica, and Erica's like, I see what she's doing. I also understand why she said it. But all she said was, oh, I hate this. Because she's like, I understand Kyle's point. And I know you've brought it up on camera because you're worried about your job next year. So by this thing that we are having in the dressing room, I know you are planning to use this today as one of your pitches to keep your job next season. Right? That's my... And they all know all of those things as they happen. So then we sit down and Kyle's big point was, you you saying that then was you making a news beat knowing it would make this thing that was happening with me already harder... And I hit back by diminishing you as the like tit for tat of that. And you know that. So we both got our hits in. Can we call it even? And Dorit was like, no, I still need a diamond next season. So we're going to talk about it some more. Yeah, it's really, it's as if the like Fox Force 5 basically said, here are the things that we bring up on camera and here are the things that we won't bring up on camera. And it made the show bad, right? And so the breakup of this group, like getting Teddy and Lisa Rinna off, having Erica and Kyle friends, but, you know, not like alliances, and then breaking up Kyle and Dorit has made for a much more interesting show because it seems as though Kyle, while asking everyone to be honest all the time, isn't. She is showing 
her authentic life when she when it suits her and when it doesn't she's not showing it but yet she's expecting everyone else to show their authentic lives and right. she's only willing to protect the people that confide in her and that are her friends and yeah. it just feels like you can't have it both ways and i know that she's anxious and i know that she's worried about her daughters but you can't just not talk about something because it doesn't suit your narrative right And also, but it's also interesting, right? Because like you had Garcelle supporting Sutton, trying to push it into the scenes, right? Like multiple times. Clearly there were side conversations over there of like, whether it's from the producers or them of like, we've got to get this on camera. We all know it's Mm -hmm. happening. It's ridiculous that we, she keeps skating around it. Somebody's got to get her to talk. But I also think Beverly Hills is damaged by Lisa Vanderpump's original approach to manipulating scenes and stories, right? The Fox Force 5 like Alliance was a reaction to like what Brandy told us that drunk that time in Palm Springs about the magazines when she on camera said, can we just stop like planning, you know, or whatever it was that was like when Lisa turned on Brandy that like how Kyle behaves was born out of Lisa constantly trying to pull strings to let other people that Teddy was the one who figured out and forced a whole season about, you know, they're so stuck in their own manipulations. And sometimes it makes interesting television and other times it makes like really boring, stilted, like, what are we doing? Like, we're talking about nothing. That is so true. Wow. You've like basically surised everything that I'm thinking. Just a couple sentences. Yes, we have. Have we thought about this for so long? Yes, we have. And they do it on other on other franchises, but not everyone is bought in on it. And so some people are trying to do this manipulation tactic and others are like, what the hell are you trying to do? I'm not going along with that. And so no one, no franchise has it worked a hundred percent on except for Beverly Hills. Right. Cause there's, there's just been fewer of the like bounce off the walls personalities, you know, like I'm just like barreling through the scenes and whatever's happening, happening. And the other places where, that happens. There's too many other factors for people to be able to really plan and execute as well as they have on Beverly Hills. So it certainly happens. I mean, like, Kenya's definitely super smart and has, like, at times, you know, manipulated Atlanta, but you have, you know, a Porsche wandering in and, like, you know, throwing off whatever a plan. But Beverly Hills, it's just always, they, they've landed a lot of their plans a lot of times. And sometimes it's made good TV and sometimes it's made whole seasons where we were like, could you do anything? interesting because i have to say on this season i enjoyed this season a lot more than a lot of other people Uh, like i enjoyed how much we got back to sometimes actually having fun because that's been my beverly hills complaint for the longest time is like can you just have a good time that morning in vegas where they were like laughing about sutton's dating you know they were arriving late they were talking about going to see the show they were just genuinely having an enjoyable breakfast as women on a vacation that like, I loved seeing. I was like, I think everyone left breakfast. Like, wow, we had a good time. Like, that was fun. And like, it can't be that all the time. But they've been missing that. And I liked seeing some of that this year. Me too. I love watching like Erica and Sutton laugh. Like with Garcelle. Like that is what we want to watch. We don't want to watch constant takedowns. Um, But speaking of takedown, got to know what you think about both Garcelle's you know, kind of her and Dorit's 
issues. And then Crystal calling out Dorit about the child bride comment and basically reading her for filth is what I would describe it as. Yes. Well, I feel like multiple things are correct here, right? Now, disclaimer, obviously, I'm a white cis gay man. So like, I'm carefully weighing into other people's perceptions of things that happen against them, particularly culturally or as minorities. Well, number one, Garcelle and Dorit don't like each other. Like that's most, that's like 80% of that one is like, we don't like each other and it's not going to work out. But ironically, I think those two incidents speak to the same truth, right? If you didn't know both times that you said something, you know, we can argue that like all housewives say attack all the time and they do across. I was attacked. I was attacked. I feel very attacked. You know, I'm like Laganja Estranja from Drag Race. I'm feeling very <laughs> attacked right now. Um, that that is certainly a word that gets bandied about there continuously. But Garcelle's comment that you live in a bubble, that you didn't understand that saying child bride about an Asian woman, like those two things add up to the same truth. You are not as engaged in these in these dialogues as most of the rest of us have been at least the last five, six years, if not your whole life, right? To, because to be able to make the same kind of mistake twice, which is don't speak language into that can reinforce particularly negative stereotypes for a specific group of people. You did it like twice in a row and both times had to say, I didn't know. That does sort of say you do live in a bubble because we all knew. I definitely, you know, like the minute she tried, I was like, oh, oh my God. I know. You, like, and, well, uh, uh, and for her to say uh, she's no. the only one with a college education was Stop. And insane. Other people into, like, what are you talking about? And like, like Anne-Marie has more than a college education. We've been arguing about what her level of education is literally the whole (laughs) season, but both of those things are above a basic bachelor's. Like, to achieve. That is actually my favorite part of the season, is that people are starting to understand the drama that exists with medical societies. That is legit. I can tell you all day long all kinds of the issues that they have, like community of practice, like everything. And um, it, the issue is so bad that actually the CRNAs now starting, I believe, in 2025 have to get doctorates in nursing in order to achieve their um, degree. And oh, wow. yeah, so that and they'll say they're doctors. They are doctors. They're not physicians. Right. You know, and, and that whole thing. But it's just so interesting that that particular topic made its way. And I knew that Crystal must have had some connection to anesthesiology because only someone that knows anesthesiologists would know how annoyed they are with the CRNAs. <laughs> right. Like how deep a, a like medical <laughs> conflict there is. And also like understand Anne-Marie and the like CRNAs like point of certain things of like at a certain point, if you're fully equipped to do the same things, like what are we achieving but yeah it was like a deep dive into a con into a like internal conflict that most of this watching audience had no knowledge of that crystal aggressively knew the specifics of like i can give examples all day long between pharmacists and pediatricians you know and pharmacists trying to be able to they want to get reimbursed for giving vaccines of course not whatever not reimbursed from medicaid because medicaid doesn't really reimburse well for anything but they want to be able to charge private insurance for giving vaccines to children yet they are not necessarily trained or equipped to give vaccines to children and i know there's going to be you know pharmacists that are like i totally am equipped i know how to do it all that stuff but all you have to do is look at the COVID vaccines and how that went with children Uh, under age five 
that, yes. you know, sometimes some things are better done in a pediatric office. Anyways. Uh, yes. So there's the these point, little things like over yeah. and over, and it's so funny to see them play out in a show like this. And it's interesting because, right, because like when you're talking about really microaggressions or, you know, although did mm-hmm. you catch Erica? They clearly cut somebody saying something about a microaggression because there's a clip. Erica, under her breath, is like, that's really more macro than micro. Yes. <laughs> like unconnected to like the previous sentence. And I think someone like as they do, they needed to edit, you know, into the conversation, but someone must have just said, and she was saying like, child bride isn't so much a microaggression as a like straight up racist, like macro, <laughs> you know, implication. Um, and, and I'm not particularly for the like punishing people, particularly for word things for like misspeaking when you get into stereotypes, not taking away from the pain and frustration that they cause. But, um, but for you to continuously have no knowledge of the kind of phrases that can be harmful to groups of people, you know, we don't all know all of them, certainly. But the back to back to back with you, like, you live in a bubble where you've not had to care about this as much as many of the rest of us, either or from life experience or exposure. You care about it when it has to do with you, right? Like if yes. someone were to say, oh, you know, Jewish people have too much control over the media, Right. Or, you know, like she would have something to say about that and she would want to educate everyone about it. Right. Rightly so. But when it's not her ethnicity or race, it's like she can't it's like she doesn't get it or she doesn't want to learn. She just seems uninterested. Yeah. And this franchise has had some really good conversations in this. I mean, the flip side, when she shared her experience as a child, you know, and they like related on like and that one, she managed to qualify, you know, greatly by saying, I'm not saying this is the same. I'm not saying that like it's equivalent or equal and imp- but like this is my own experience was really relatable. I always think of five Kyle and that $5,000 check and Garcelle at that reunion mm-hmm. where she said the implication that black people don't pay, you know, their bills. And Kyle sat down at that lunch at the beginning of the season and was like, I understand. And I'm sorry. Like, you know, they, they've, this franchise has done good sometimes with dealing with the kind of interplay and nuance of microaggressions. That's harder to just go, you know what? I didn't know that and I see it and I'm sorry and I won't do that again. Yeah. Or just say like, because I get the child bride comment in terms of the age, right? Not in terms of her being Asian, but like we always joke, um, like me and my friends, like if someone has a baby in their 20s, that it's a teen pregnancy. Just because like if you live in a certain city, women tend to have babies much older, right? And that's not the norm in the rest of the country, but that is in like New York City, DC, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's a joke. It's meant to be a joke. But when you do it against an Asian woman, it's a very different type of thing, you know, and and so that's um, what she doesn't seem to to pick up on. Kyle made a great point because she's right because 12 is the number we reach for for whatever reason. I was like, I don't know, he's 12. Like, she's so right that that's the cultural number chosen for like, somebody's dating a young person, somebody or like somebody came into your career or whatever. I don't know, this 12 year old was trying to tell me what to that is funny that that she's so right that that's the number we reach for. I know. I know. Um, Okay, speaking of reaching. Yes. I can't. (laughs) Tell me if you understood what he was trying to say with this comment. Moving on to Miami. So we've got Marcus Jordan. And he says Uh, something. and, And it's like, it seems like a reach, but I also don't quite understand what he's trying to even say. I felt like dumb when I I was like, I know I should be mad about this, but I don't know why. (laughs) 
<laughs> when he said these women wouldn't be able to do the dishes in our house, let alone trying to bring themselves in this conversation. Some people just need to stay in their lane. What the hell was he trying to say? Like he was calling them so poor that like they wouldn't be, you know, like they couldn't afford to wash our dishes. Like it was just like they're so poor. Like you're so oh, below our level. Like a socioeconomic oh. thing. I think both socio, both culturally, like at a party influence, I think he was trying to make a universal statement of like, we're in a rarefied air that they can't even reach. Mm. Um, But the choice to reach for the discussion of dishwashing about a stage full of Latina, Cuban. Right. That's okay. (laughs) Like, oh my God. Like, same thing. Right. Like there's, you know, it's like, that's like, it's like reaching for like, him saying their husbands are lawnmowers like it was that level of like degradingly stereotypically like your experience he seems to like he has to suck right in order to date her like that's where i go when when someone seems kind right and is dating someone who's a monster you're like some part of you has something wrong for dating this monster and i've always thought that about him he seems really nice but she is the most calculating you know yes. like can you know frustrating but i love to hate her love to hate her. yeah oh same like please don't leave the show but like don't when leave you the rank, show. like and i and we discussed i never try to rank good versus bad people on these shows because none of us yes. are all one thing but she's very close to one of the worst across the universe <laughs> for me personally <laughs> yeah. like i'm just being like i'm like you're up but i always go to we all make bad good and bad choice whatever i tend to go but if you're a good friend to your real friends that tells me who you are in the real world I have yet to see her be a good friend to anyone in any time for any reason that didn't benefit her personally. And so he seems like the child of extreme privilege that grew up in a world where you think everyone should be washing your dishes. And I don't think he meant it because they are Latina, Cuban, women, Hispanic, you know. Um, I don't think he meant that, but like it allows you the space to say that. Like everyone is beneath me. You couldn't wash my feet. You couldn't wash my dishes. All on a, like someone else's achievements. Your whole life has been play- paid for by one of the somebody who achieved everything on their own and you're the standard second generation like loafing along riding the money the coattails the train and connected with someone who is also interested in being similarly seen in public willing enough to change like so much of her being to be like somebody else culturally um yeah and watching her this season like it was just so gross also like team gertie and kiki and like and even Alexia fully getting on board with like, let's talk about like how you're a liar. And I'm just going to say it because that's who I am. Like this vaguely Larsa takedown adjacent thing that's happening brings me joy. And I'm not even going to pretend like it doesn't. I love it, especially Alexia, because you don't see yes. that from her very often. And when she said, and this was such a perfect example uh that, you know, if I was a bad friend, I could call the press about how people are doing drugs at your wedding. She's yeah. basically insinuating you. It's a threat. It's yes. a thinly veiled threat. And for yes. her to say, well, I didn't say that. Yeah. OK, you didn't say it, but you implied. And like, a calm, like calm down, Meredith Marks. Like, we know what you were doing. Like- also, it was so funny when um, was it Lisa that was like, well, we live in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, well, because like for me, Alexia is the Teresa Judice of Miami. You know, it's like she's just who she is and like doesn't fully follow your argument sometimes, but she's going to keep saying what she thinks on top of you forever. And so for Alexia doing nothing but speaking the truth to finally turn at Larsa, like, no, you said it. She's like, you call me a liar. I called you all liars was one of the funniest lines of these two episodes of the reunion so far. No, no, I called you all liars. <laughs> it wasn't just you. 
it wasn't just you. I mean, like everyone, you're, I said you were all liars. Like, like that, that was like a turn back to you called me a liar. Yes, but I called you all liars. You're all liars. And this is what happened. You stood at my wedding and then you said, like her inability to do anything but say what she thinks happened, ruining like Larsa's argument was hysterical for me. Do you think Larsa really believes her arguments or is she just so... Oh, no. I, and not only that, I think she's bad at manipulation, right? Because they bring it out and she just says it. Like, well, I could, you know, she doesn't say, like, I'm going to call TMZ tomorrow. But the way a smart manipulator says, oh, my gosh, I know. And that's so rough. And, like, did you, I heard that so-and-so was in the bathroom. Like, I, I worry, you know, is there security camera footage? I wouldn't want you to get in trouble because, you know, people... Uh, there's, there's smart Emerson, ways to, she like, could have uh, done it better. <laughs> right. She doesn't even do it well. And that's what right. each of the women are showing. I mean, that like that she couldn't even process Gertie's reveal that she had cancer because she couldn't get out of the like, I'm in an argument with you mindset fast enough. Like she doesn't think quickly, it seems, you know, because that's Why the moment in life. Why does she like, dig in though? Like, that's what I don't understand. What about her makes her dig into like, I'm right and I'm not going to acknowledge any fault and I'm going to double down. It's like very Trumpian. Like, no, I didn't do that. No, I didn't do that. No, no, you're you actually did that. <laughs> like, makes you well, question your own sanity. Yeah, I mean, it's like, actually, we throw the word around a lot, but it's actual gaslighting, you know, it'd be like, that's not what I said and what I did and what it, yes, it is. And it's literally on camera. What are you talking about? We, right. we watched you say this to this woman after she had cancer. Like you said it. And she said to you, don't tell anyone of the, the girls I want to tell them. And then you went and told everyone and said, wait, I thought you meant social media. We all watched it. And then you had time to watch it as well. You're just lying to like not let it go. Like you came up with, I'm going to hang this on. No, I thought you meant social media. And it's not even a good excuse because we watched it. Like she thinks she has earned the place that she has in culture and deserves the position that she used to have in the show as sort of the number one. But now the reboot's been on long enough that like you're not the center square anymore. Like, I never looked at her as a center square. I guess I don't same, find I think her. She did. And they treated her that way because of her position in Miami society okay. for being Mrs. Scotty Pippen. Like it always felt like it was about less about their place on the show, but that literally in their social community, her influence was higher and more powerful. <laughs> All of it's just so funny to me. Like for them to be like, well, they're not talking about anyone else's dad. Okay. Like when Andy's like, to be fair, like no one else's dad is Michael Jordan. <laughs> right. Like it's not, that's what I mean. She doesn't even make good arguments in her, in her clip. Cause like you just need to answer the question and move on. Like that's not a good argument. It's Michael Jordan. Of course people are talking about it. Like that's it's not so a good funny argument. to me. It's so funny. And um, these women keep trying to forgive you. I know like they keep trying like Kiki like gave you the space like all you have to do uh, I, I've always joked about wanting to run a reunion coaching business <laughs> like after your season's fully aired <laughs> when they send you the final three episodes to watch let's sit down and talk about your reunion plan because some of them like could diffuse so many arguments by a sincerely placed I'm sorry like just be willing to let that one go. Be willing to own that one and move to the one you care about. Like, just say, I'm sorry. Like, if she had walked into this reunion and said, Gertie, I've walked it back and I can't even believe what happened. Like, I, I was so caught up in the other things happening for me, but there's no excuse that as your friend, the moment you said I have cancer, that I didn't just drop everything and say, what do you need? 
from me right now. I'm so sorry that that isn't what I did. That is what you needed. And that is all I should have done as your friend. You know, you're still going to have to go through the beats, but like say the true thing first. What do you think it is about housewives that makes it so that they can't do that? Do you think it's like they view it as a sign of weakness? Yes. Okay. And and that you never know what's going to happen after, right? Like, how is that going to be used against you as well? Well, like, if you apologize for that, like, if they don't accept your apology, does it get worse? Yes. But I feel like we've seen so many times over the years that certain things you're like, you could just say, I'm sorry, and take like 70% of the air out of this thing. And I think a lot of times they're not sorry. And they really are pretty authentic to themselves. And so like, it would be inauthentic, like how Julia didn't want to say she was sorry to Lisa. And then that beautiful moment when they were able to just be together alone, to be able to share, that felt very authentic on both their ends. It was, you know, and, and for Lisa to say, like, I can't believe what I said to you about having three different baby. Like, I cannot believe I said that. I don't think that I can't believe it came out of my mouth. That was also really nice to hear from her. Yes. Because usually she's like, she is someone who can apologize if she is able, if she doesn't feel like she's defending herself. Yes. And for that, I let, I agree. Because that moment where you have one of, in my opinion, the most substantial people and least substantial people (laughs) coming together to meet in the middle to say like, my behavior was not okay. And I, I, I would like to do it with you. Since, but I love Julie being like, I can't right now. And then going, I want to do it with you. And then I can like address with the group. Like that's beautifully authentic. And I did love Lisa receiving it. I was impressed. And you're right. If she doesn't feel like she's in a corner, she's able to process sincerity as well. Yeah. But whereas like Larsa can't, like she just never, never for any reason. Views herself. She doesn't care. Also, yeah. she doesn't care. She doesn't actually care. So she only wants to win. I also thought when Lisa was saying like she's having the fight of her life and then how offended like the other couch got, I was offended initially too. But when she was like, I'm fighting for my kids, like that's my life. Like I think even Gertie was like, I'm sorry. I get that. You know? Yeah. And that was kind of a beautiful moment. And that's the good of like what this is too, right? Because their point is you were annoying about it all season. That's that's the the point we're making is like you reach like, yes, of course, but like it overwhelmed everything at all times and other people go through things. And so for her to be dramatic and be like it's and then them to say, well, hers is worse. She can't hear that because she's right. She is in this. And it's it's the hardest thing for her. And comparing tragedies is a terrible like is a terrible lose lose situation. Both of those women are going through unimaginably difficult situations. Um, Yes, there is a difference between I could lose my house and I could lose my life. But it doesn't mean that we don't need to diminish the the horror of what Lisa's going through very publicly in order to discuss that obviously what Gertie's going through is exponentially a horrifying, um, a different kind of horror, you know. So I hope I like that we're going to get past that sort of quickly. The the competition for whose life is worst is is (laughs) not fun for any of us. Like nobody wins and it's not fun to watch. Like I know. But also you are being annoying about it. Say less like. Someone like we get to just have lunch and it not be about your divorce today. Like, that's fine. I know she is so self-absorbed, but they all are. Oh, my gosh. Emerson, thank you so much for joining and for sharing all of your amazing insights. I'm going to be thinking about what you said about Beverly Hills and manipulation for a while. That is definitely one that's going to take some time for me to like absorb, but I very much agree with it. 
tell everyone like where they can find you, um, any projects that you're working on, a theater that people could come see, anything like that. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. You are a delight. I love how you Aww. approach this. I enjoy the like the way we can play with our soap opera characters and have <laughs> yeah. the time like disagreeing and agreeing. And if you're listening and you have thoughts you want to share, yes. Um, my most active these days is Instagram and threads. Actually, I'm enjoying the threads. Oh, nice. Um, as, the, as the Twitter alternative. Um, at Emerson Collins there, uh, my website, emersoncollins.com. I just finished producing a giant LGBTQ uh, writers festival in Atlanta this past week uh, for the Del Shores Foundation. We work specifically with new uh, LGBTQ playwrights and screenwriters who live in the South. But you can see where I will be and when I will be um, all across Instagram. And also, I'll come back whenever you want. Like anytime somebody falls out, because like y'all, we didn't even get to Potomac, the new summer house. I know, house, I know. Below deck, so I am a phone call away. I don't do below deck. I'm so sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just feel like no. I had to I, write that one too off far. because it's too much time. Yes. And there's so Absolutely. many different versions. And I feel like yep. I've seen all of the drama I can see from Below Deck. Like I've I watched, mean, it, once Kate left. I was going to say the zenith of Kate. Like of, of Kate's departure was like turning a page in that book. But at least we have her on the traders. She's still in our lives. Yes. Peacock has to be working out some kind of new show with her now that they understand. So we'll get more of her. I love her. Yeah. And no, I love I, you. And this was great. And I will <laughs> talk to you all day. <laughs> Thank you so much, Emerson. This means a lot to me, really. Truly, really, my sincere pleasure. Thank you.